I'm Amanda. I'm Jesse. In this podcast, we talk about the joys of motherhood as well as the experiences that have altered us along the way. We've created a safe space to talk about the hard and unconventional alongside the beauty, and we want you to feel confident in the decisions that you make as a mother. Welcome to the Motherhood Collective Co. Let's talk. Hi guys, welcome back to the Motherhood Collective. We are continuing our redemptive birth story series. Um, Today we are talking with Daisha. Daisha is a mother of three, ages three and under, and her youngest was just born about a month ago. Um, She's primarily a stay-at-home mom, but she also has set aside time to support other moms as a pre- and postnatal fitness coach and doula. Um, Her experiences with personal training, home birth, and lots of personal research has contributed towards her passion to help moms become the fullest version of themselves in motherhood. Um, Daisha is also one of my super close friends. We lived together in college um, and have just stayed super close. She has since moved away from Denver, but um, we are just so similar. Our girls are about the same age. And, um, yeah, I'm just super excited to talk to you and for people to hear your stories and your perspective on birth and pregnancy and all the things. Totally. Me too. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm obviously always excited to talk about everything related to pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. So this is a dream come true for me as well. (laughs) Good. Yes. So Deja (laughs) truly is like the poster child I feel like for pregnancy and birth I've like never met somebody who loves being pregnant and giving birth as much as she does and so you might just forewarning have a little bit of baby fever after talking to her today I tend to have that effect on people (laughs) I feel like that's just what happens when you talk to Deja um but that is just like our heart behind this series is that we just really want to highlight the goodness of birth and the goodness of pregnancy and how um, transformative in the best ways that it can be. And if that is something that is a new concept for you, like it had been for me, then I hope that you find a lot of hope in this series. So, Deisha, okay, so you have three kids. So you have three birth stories. Yes. They're all amazing but different. So I kind of just like want to leave it up to you how you want to guide us you know, walking through those and what you want to highlight. And I will just give you the floor. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. I just feel like with every pregnancy, birth and postpartum season, I just had the awesome experience of just having continued growth and a deepening understanding of myself, my body, um, of what like transformation that comes with the whole experience. And so there have been like little tidbits and projects that have been associated with each one of those pregnancies and so it's fun to see it like in hindsight big picture like I'm not done having kids yet but I can already see so much has happened in the last three years and I feel like a totally different person than who I was before I had kids and it's so funny because I didn't plan to have kids until like five years into our marriage and then I had like a total 180 degree moment in our first year of marriage where I was suddenly like, we need to start now. (laughs) And from that moment on, I feel like I've just turned into a completely different person. Never thought I would be here, but I'm so grateful for the journey. And so I guess it starts with 
Jayla at the very beginning, um, when I had made that decision, which my husband was very thrilled about, he was like waiting for me to just be ready to have kids. And Mm -hmm. when I made that decision, we were blessed enough to have conceived her within the first month of trying. Um, And that was a huge gift, but also kind of a slap in the face because we were at the time living in a 400 square foot studio apartment um, with no room for a crib or anything associated with having a child. (laughs) And so we had to quick turn ourselves around and the Lord just made it so clear that he was going to provide for the child that was coming. And within a couple months of like praying a fleece prayer, he had provided us with a new apartment and a new car and a raise at Jared's job. And so it was just super neat to like see all of those things come into play. And I feel like the pregnancy, birth and postpartum season just kind of mirrored that. Like there was just mm-hmm. provision. Um, and I started at an OBGYN office that was recommended to me by a friend. Um, didn't really think too much about birth aside from the fact that I wanted to approach it naturally and do it unmedicated. Yeah. It's what my mom had done. So she gave birth to me at a birth center, totally unmedicated. And I was like, well, if my mom can do it, then I can do that. Mm -hmm. And I then kind of took some additional time to pick up some books, to read through things, to watch documentaries, to just kind of inform myself of what I was about to embark on when it came to giving birth. And the more research that I did, the more I just became convinced that the only way that I really wanted, well, it, it's so hard to to use certain terms with birth because birth is unpredictable and there are things that are going to happen that we can't ever like say, if you do X, Y, and Z, things will play out this way. Right. But the conclusion that I came to after all of the research that I had done um, was that if I wanted to preserve my best chance of giving birth without interventions and to be able to give birth naturally, doing it at home was probably my best option if I was comfortable with doing that. And at that point, I didn't have much experience with going into hospitals. And the little experience that I had, um, it it wasn't enjoyable. It didn't necessarily feel safe. It mostly felt foreign to me and a bit intimidating. And so I knew that I was going to feel most at peace and most safe if I did it at home and if I was on my own turf and in control of my environment and all of that. And so I kind of went into my first birth totally knowing that it was my first go around that I didn't know what to expect when it came to like how I'd be able to cope. But I also had a confidence in my ability to stay level-headed and to keep my peace and to prepare myself accordingly so that I would you know, have the intuition in my body and mind to run with it wherever it would take me. Mm -hmm. And I ended up switching uh, care providers as well because this OBGYN office didn't support home birth. So I was in my third trimester of that pregnancy, I think, beginning of the third trimester, when I switched over to a um, the care of of midwifery center that had mm-hmm. five midwives that were on call at different times and they supported birth in a birthing center and at a home birth. And so uh, it felt a little late in the game to do that, but I knew that if this is what I wanted to do, uh, there was no better time than that moment to do it. 
to just make the yeah. decision and commit to it. And so that switch to care I thought was really great, brought me a lot of peace, made me excited about the birth that I was going into. And um, my sweet daughter, I thought she was going to be a week late and really proactive like her mom, but she proved <laughs> to be quite the opposite and had me waiting a very long 11 days. Um, and it was right, I think COVID hit, like the world shut down and jobs mm -hmm. were, you know, took all of their weird work at home terms about a week before her due date. And so my responsibilities went just, they were practically non-existent at that point. And so I just had a lot of time to stare at the clock and wait for my child to arrive. So it was like the longest month of my <laughs> life that I waited. Yeah. Um, but on that morning, I was, you know, getting close to the 42-week cutoff where I otherwise would have been transferred for an induction at the hospital. So having that kind of loom over my shoulders, I wanted to make sure that um, I was able to give birth at home and not be transferred. And so I took some castor oil, got a couple membrane sweeps just to try to get things going as naturally as I could and mm -hmm. ended up being woken up in active labor at 530. Um, and I have been so grateful. My labors have been pretty quick, even with my first one. Um, labor was about 10 or 11 hours and all of it was done at home. By the time I was in active labor, I pretty much was at the point where I um, just didn't want to do anything. Like I had a whole plan to reassemble our apartment, get everything ready, create the environment, get on my feet, take a walk, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was just so strong when it woke me up that my poor husband was left to fulfill all of those responsibilities for me while I labored <laughs> with our child. But it gave him yeah. plenty to do. And I think that was really helpful for him because he, you know, first time dad, never having done birth before, especially at home, was like, he was nervous about it. And so I think it was really good that he had some practical, like a list of things that he's like, okay, I can do this. I have control over these things. And so he was great. He set up a little blow up pool for us. We're in a one bedroom apartment. So we reorganized our whole living room to make space for everything. And I had dilated all the way up to 10 centimeters by the time it was around 10 in the morning. My midwives were shocked. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they were like, oh my gosh, we need to like get ready now. But what was crazy and what kind of threw me off was I had always heard that the stereotypical approach to birth is you get to 10 centimeters and you push, baby's coming. Um, mm. But what happened with me is 10 centimeters was hit and then I got in the pool expecting to have this um, natural reflex of just baby is coming out and there's no going back. Um, but I actually began to relax and I spent about two hours in uh, laboring down is the, the phrase that a lot of people will use for it. But I was just able to relax for a little while and rest. And hmm. in the moment, it felt stressful for me mentally because I wasn't progressing at that point and I had heard so much about failure to progress and what that means and um, if this was going to necessitate a transfer to the hospital and everything and in hindsight I realized that it was just my body saying hey we've worked really quickly and really hard to get to this point we're mm -hmm. going to take a breather before we get this baby out and so the intensity and timing of contractions really relaxed 
And I think it was about a full two hours that I was able to just enjoy my living room jacuzzi and um, really escape the intensity of labor um, for like good sections of time. And then when it was time to push and my body had enough rest, it uh, vamped back up again. And I probably pushed for, gosh, I want to say like an hour, just becoming familiar with how my body is supposed to do that, (laughs) how to push well and how to mentally work through the catch 22 of like, I feel like this is really going to hurt, but there's no other way that baby's going to get out of my body. (laughs) And just wrestling with that internally, but also experiencing it physically and feeling like you don't have the time to like process all of that. Um, So the hardest part of the birth for sure was getting her out. And when you're unmedicated, obviously you're feeling everything and there's, so much benefit to that. Um, but when it's your first time and you don't fully know how to push and you just want to get the baby out, um, I ended up having a second degree tear that I had to do some processing of on mm-hmm. like after things happened. Um, but so that definitely hurts. But of course, as soon as the baby's out and your hormones go crazy and you just have this intensive feeling of just like, wow, I've never seen you before, but I would do absolutely anything for you. And just this euphoric moment, the golden hour, as soon as baby's out, you just get to enjoy them and soak in the surreal moment that is like this creature, this human who's been growing inside of me for nine months, and it's just suddenly becoming real. Um, So that was incredible. Uh, The aftermath of that birth, um, got a couple stitches, which was truthfully the worst part. I was not prepared for like the aftermath of the birth. Um, but it was great to have everything like to just slip out of the pool, deliver the placenta on my couch, <laughs> to, mm-hmm. got, to get stitches in my bed, to shower in my own shower, to sleep in my own bed that night. Um, I just loved the facilitation of transition. There was no car seat and going from one place to another and being in a spot where you don't know where anything is. And I really, really loved the um just how easy it was to resume life with your new kid and I think like I said with the tearing piece I did have that moment it's funny because on paper that birth looked pretty much exactly how I wanted it to look I got everything that I asked for and um it was short which I was grateful for um but I still had that moment of tearing like come back to my memory and it would keep me up at night and I would think about it and um, just have a really hard time like letting it go and would constantly find myself reliving this moment even though it was something I didn't want to and so it took some intentional time I would hop in the shower and just be present in all of the feelings that I didn't really have the space to feel in the moment so I would let myself cry I would let myself say the things that I didn't say in the moment um, mm. I would pray about it and surrender it to the Lord. And at one point with God, I was basically like, okay, I don't want to live like this forever. I don't want to be reliving this moment for like months or even years. So I'm just going to keep giving it to you until it's gone. And truthfully, it was, it was honestly probably like a couple days of doing that intensively and just saying, I'm not going to live with this and please take it from me, release it from me. And aid the processing that happens afterwards and um he did and it was a really awesome thing to not have to like walk through my whole postpartum 
trying to uh, like work through that. Um, but it did take some time to like come to terms with, okay, birth is great and I'm glad that everything on paper looked great. Um, but how do I feel about this? And mm. was it, you know, and how, how is it going to shape the way that I see future births? And so I think that's just kind of what started the trajectory of um, even more research in my second pregnancy. And, um, you know, I was a fitness coach before I got pregnant. Still am a fitness coach, more, you know, focused on pregnancy, birth, postpartum training. But I think that that first birth in particular is what really initiated this transition into that world and understanding my body and my mind so much better because I saw how much it truly impacted you just in those 10 hours and in the immediate postpartum season of that birth, like how much changes and how much strength you need in order to work your way through that experience, whether it's 10 hours or 24 hours or 60 hours, like you, there is, it's still an endurance sport. There's still a stamina that you need and kind of an understanding of how things work to like to be fully present in it and to really work towards the birth that you want to have at mm. the end of the day. Um, right. And the importance of like surrendering to what happens. Cause again, you just can't control every, every piece of it, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not all. <laughs> yeah. So that was my first birth. Um, the second pregnancy I got pregnant, I think it was about 11 months postpartum with mm -hmm. my boy Harvey and he um, that birth was awesome I kind of went into it people told me that I should expect to have labor be about half the time and it was pretty much on the dot like five hours which was awesome um, that pregnancy had like a new deepening of understanding when it came to um, my body and intuition and even practically how to work with the transforming body through pregnancy and postpartum and like on a physical level how you can train specifically for those things and mm -hmm. that was super fascinating for me I got certified um, with pre and postnatal training from a couple different places and then I also put together a course and so it was just so fun to be fully present in all of that like learning and then turning around to teach the way that I approach my clients with um, whether it was even like practical new moves on how to work with your pelvic floor or like the ways that we talked mentally how to prepare for something, you can liken it to a marathon, but birth in itself is still like it's a whole other animal <laughs> when it comes to like what you're training for mentally and physically. And so my primary goal with birth number two was increased awareness, um, increased strength and stamina, and then obviously a desire to not tear. That was a huge focus yeah. of mine and my own personal research and stuff. And so um, pregnancy number two went pretty smoothly. It felt a lot like the first time around. Um, the hardest part of pregnancy for me is easily the very last month because you feel like you're so close, but you're still so far away at the same time. <laughs> right. And pregnancy feels like it will literally never end. <laughs> yeah. And um, so – that was easily the hardest part and navigating that with a toddler on top of it, you know, there's plenty to deal with there, but 
Um, the second birth itself, I woke up from a nap. Um, it was, I think, 6 or 6.30 at night and woke up in active labor again. Um, it built up pretty quickly. And I, I mean, it was a pretty, like, clear and cut birth. Like, it wasn't super eventful outside of the fact that, you know, we had a house full of people. My in-laws were in town. Jayla was running around. My midwife came. Um, and it was a relatively small house. So we're still, you know, moving furniture and rearranging things so that the pool can fit in the living room and um, trying to figure out how to fill up the pool because our hot water heater didn't work very well. And so we were boiling like nine pots of water, <laughs> trying to fill up the pool in time for the baby to get there. Um, but it was just neat how things progressed and the fact that everything felt, um, it was so fun. Like while I was in the middle of labor, as those sensations were returning to my body and I could feel contractions going through my belly and I could feel um, like my pelvis widen and I could feel my baby's head moving back and forth in my pelvis as they were coming out. Like it was just so neat to in that moment of labor think this feels like a familiar friend. Mm. Like, and I am not scared of what I'm experiencing right now. And because it's something that I've done before it's great to know that I like that I'm not discovering it, but I can revisit it and have a confidence in how things work. And like, I know that my body has done it before and it can 100% do it again. And um, so that was, it really gave me a new perspective of like, it wasn't just me learning how to birth for the first time anymore. It was actually the chance that I had to experience like a joint adventure with my baby for the first time. This is the first thing we really get to share in together. And so it became more like teamwork. And I had more of a relationship with Harvey as he was coming out. Um, so that piece was really special. And it felt more like I was able to tap into the love element. And, you know, in theory, that also helped to spur on oxytocin, which helps labor to move. And so I think mm -hmm. the fact that I was there mentally just helped to also facilitate like how that experience went. Um, right. So that was super special. And within five hours he was out and it was awesome to have shared that space with family. And again, just ease of transition. I didn't tear. So I hit my goal. That was so yep. exciting to me. Um, and it just felt like I was able to not only grow in the deepening of understanding and mental strength and stamina, but also I was able to progress in the sense that, like, I'm even able to, like, set goals in this world. And, you know, even though it was a seemingly very small thing, um, it was big for me. And so it was exciting that I was able to, you know, do the work to overcome that and, um you know, work to have a more pleasant experience in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember that being like a big win for you, how to kind of control the flow of pushing as much as you could, not to rush it, even though it's like, it's like sitting in that tension of letting your body kind of come to terms with what's happening. And <clears throat> I thought that was so cool. Totally. It is very like, it feels very counterintuitive because, especially because you see the dramatic, like, TV shows or Grey's Anatomy or whatever you're watching of like a mom pushing out the baby and everyone's right. screaming and it's supposed to be this really intensive 
thing. And yeah. baby's just supposed to come flying out and, you know, it, it just feels like pushing out your child needs to be this really intense, loud um, experience for people. When in reality, if I wanted to avoid tearing, I just put my hands down where I could feel my baby's head coming out and I would actually mm-hmm. apply counter pressure and I would stop my deep breathing and make it shallow so that I'm not personally helping my baby to come out. I'm not pushing. Right. <laughs> I'm waiting for my body to push baby out. And if anything, I'm like pushing against my child who's trying to come out of my body so that my skin can help to, you know, to slow and ease the entry <laughs> um, yeah. and stretch slowly so that you aren't having anything super dramatic just like come at your perineum. Um, so yeah, preserving that felt very counterintuitive in the sense that you feel like you're almost saying, wait, stay in there, take your time, slow down, hold on, even though you're so excited for them to be there. Um, in theory, it would be great to have them out quickly without a tear, but that it's really worked for me to be able to take my time and feel out where my body was reaching its limits and to be able to accommodate and help for that. And it felt mm-hmm. really good. And it was awesome to have like I, postpartum recovery with Jayla was great with Harvey. I was like, wow, I woke up the next morning and I was like, it literally does not feel like I gave birth yesterday. Mm-hmm. Like I could feel, you know, there's, there's the natural reorganization internally that's happening with, your organs kind of going back into place and your uterus shrinking and you're like a lot is happening in your body physically. Right. Um, but from an external standpoint, not having to heal anything that was broken um, yeah. or torn rather broken, is probably not a good word for that. Um, <laughs> torn in need of like additional time and healing and attention. Um, I was just thrilled to be able to, again, just like have an easy transition into life with my baby without very many distractions. And that was super special. Hmm. So how, um, how long after your birth with Harvey did you get pregnant again? Was it another year? It was closer to eight months when I got pregnant for the third time. Yeah. And it's funny, around four months postpartum, well, even with Harvey, because it went so well, I turned around after that and I was like, you know, if I had to go through labor again tomorrow, like, I could do it. <laughs> I would yeah, like for it. Try, you start trying for your baby, like, the next baby pretty much, like, whenever you're healed from the last, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And so much of it, like, we want to have a big family, and we love to keep the ages relatively close together, but also just from a physical, mental standpoint, like, the way that my births have gone have I think made it a lot easier for me to not hesitate to jump right. into it again. Um, totally. Which is well, really special. Like, like pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, I think, and I kind of mentioned this at the beginning, but I think between the three of those phases um, and even conception, I think it's rare for all four of those things to like go well. And I think like, yeah when I talk to a lot of my girlfriends, there's usually like at least one of those four things, if not two, if not three, if not four, (laughs) that were really difficult or were um, like mentally or emotionally, physically taxing to the degree that they would hesitate to do it again quickly. Um, Totally. So I feel like that's just so, it's just so rare to love it from start to finish. And I think that that is, it's really, really cool, and I think that that is conducive for 
continuing. And, um, yeah, we'll talk about kind of like your your course and what you offer as a coach um, towards the end of this episode. But I'm curious, like, how much of that has been birthed out of these positive experiences too and just, like, wanting other women to experience it this way. Oh, yeah, totally. And I think – truthfully, if I didn't have kids of my own, there's no way I would be wanting to train moms. <laughs> and it's yeah. so funny. Before I became one, I felt like that sounded so incredibly, and I'm sorry to say this, I'm like slightly offended at it too, being a mom. Like feeling like I was going to be a trainer for moms felt pretty lame before I became mm. one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think now that I more fully understand like what it involves and um, how awesome it could be, and also how awesome the um, how often it can be to have poor experiences, but to know how to um, recover from that and to process through it really well, I think is also yeah. super important. And so, even though my my tearing incident is not you know a traumatic C-section experience, there was still an element that required processing and prayer and like emotional health to help mm-hmm. me through it. Otherwise some people, you know, that could be a catalyst for postpartum depression if it's not taken care of, you know? Oh, totally. And so I think it's been so neat from my own experiences, but also just from the way that I have just like dived in. It's really become a labor of love to like go around and talk to so many women about their stories, their experiences, to talk with people who work in labor and delivery, to talk with midwives. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've gotten certified as a doula for birth and postpartum, but I also have an aspiration to maybe do midwifery training in the future just because it has become like there, there is so much to it and it's such an all-encompassing experience. It's been really fun to take it from a fitness coach standpoint Um, Mm -hmm. because I can get a lot more practical in terms of how you can really connect with your body. We can like put practical application to that instead of just saying, you know, rely on your intuition or um, be aware of how your body is feeling. You actually have the ability and um, movements that you can do that promote that. Um, Yeah. And so I think that's what has made it a lot more maybe – I I hesitate to say easily accessible to me, but like there is still a lot of training that's gone on behind the scenes that has gotten me to the point where I feel so connected to my body and my mind. And I have a huge confidence in that. And again, none of those things guarantee that even the births that I have in the future are going to look like the ones that I've already had. Um, Right. But I think that there's still like a point that you need to get to where you've trained, you, you know, focused on your nutrition, you have been super mindful, you've, you've done what you can to prepare and to set the stage for what you want to see. But at the yeah. very end, there's also just a surrender to, to what happens as it happens. And, yeah. um, and I think, I think that's actually yeah. like a really good, um, like snippet for people to take with them is that, just because somebody's having a home birth does not mean that they are naive to the to the potential things that could go less than ideal ways. Mm-hmm. It gets to yep. a point where you 
so aware of those things that you almost like, I think the people who have home births are some of the most like educated people surrounding birth. Um, I hope that doesn't sound offensive, but I just, I, there's such <laughs> this like, I do feel like the more knowledge you have, the more confidence that is breeding to your body yeah. and, um, and to sit in a moment and say like, I'm fully aware of how things could go. Um, but I'm surrendered to the process and I'm trusting that. Um, Because I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that you must not be aware of what could go wrong. And I just, I don't think that that could be more false. (laughs) Um, Totally. And I think in a previous episode, you guys had talked about how it's not the job of a physician or honestly even a midwife to teach everything they know to you about birth and the risks associated with different things. Like that would just take, well, like way more time than they have available yes. to do for every single right. one of their clients. And if you're doing it at home, there is an element of like, I am responsible for this. Now, some people right. can still rely on their midwives and say they're still responsible for making my birth look the way that I want it to look, which is not realistic. Um, mm-hmm. But if there is like, you, I don't know, there's something about doing it in your home that says, okay, it's your responsibility to gather the supplies for what you need, and you're not going to have, um, for lack of a better term, the the crutch, or I guess the option is a better word, to, you know, to turn to pain relief if you feel like it's what you need. You've put yourself in a position to experience it in its fullness, and if you want to make sure you do a good job with that, (laughs) you're going to, you're going to make sure that you, you know, explore your resources and prepare yourself accordingly, and Absolutely. I think even in assessing what it would look like in a birthing center or in the hospital, you understand the risks that are associated in a hospital setting and you understand the risks that are associated in the home setting. And you come mm-hmm. to the conclusion that you would rather deal with the risks associated with births at home. A lot of people want to point fingers. They want someone to blame. And yeah. I don't think in birth there is always a place where you can point the fingers and say there's right. blame, especially if it's an undisturbed birth and mm-hmm. the fact that there will be unknowns that can occur. Yeah. Like, yeah, there is, there is a, a natural mystery to birth that I think makes people very uncomfortable. Um, yeah. But I think when you are able to look at that and say, I'm okay with there being a mystery, then mm-hmm. no one has to be at fault if things go wrong. Right. And, you put yourself in a position to say, this is just, this is what happened. Now, how are we going to collectively respond to that and do our best with the circumstances given to us as opposed to saying, well, if you hadn't chosen a home birth, you know, this wouldn't have happened because you really, at the end of the day, you can't predict any of those things. (laughs) Absolutely. Like keeping those things in perspective, I think is so huge because home birth has become so demonized in a lot of ways where um, I think the stats of like, oh, well, there's so many babies in the NICU who are from like failed home birth. Okay. But how many Mm -hmm. babies in the NICU are transfers from hospital birth (laughs) or how many things in perspective of like, okay, I know so-and-so who hemorrhaged. Okay. How many people are hemorrhaging in the hospital or Mm -hmm. how many, like kind of keeping things in perspective of like, yes, something could still, we could still need intervention to some degree but how many people are experiencing these same things 
in a hospital, and does that speak to the setting they're in, or does that just speak to what you said? There's a mystery about birth, and there's an opportunity for things to go wrong, but I think at the same time, what I've found so fascinating about home birth, how equipped um, midwives are and how equipped you can be just by gathering the the right kind of resources um, to handle the more common things that could happen. But Mm -hmm. then even beyond that, like let's take hemorrhaging for an example, even beyond that, like hemorrhaging is much more likely to happen in a setting where there are interventions. There's a direct link with hemorrhaging and Pitocin. There's a direct link with hemorrhaging and epidurals. There's a direct link with hemorrhaging and rushing the delivery of the placenta. There's there's a direct link with hemorrhaging and a lack of golden hour um, Mm -hmm. or a lack of um, nursing right away. And there's so all of these things where it's like we're we're not um, seeing the full spectrum of things. We're just seeing these individual pieces of the puzzle without considering it as a whole. Does that make sense? And I, 100%. I just think it's really, it's really interesting to talk um, more about the intricacies. Sorry, excuse my growling dog in the background. It's okay. <laughs> um, you know, the intricacies and the nuances of all of it and holding it all together, educating yourself in the full spectrum of it all, and then making a decision about what feels, totally. you know, the most peaceful. But Yeah. And I think Uh, that so many people are really good at focusing on everything that goes wrong. And I think that there is, there is a lot of value to saying, okay, we see that this is a trend. What do we do to help prevent that from happening? Obviously great way to approach it. But at the same time, I think people, you know, one of the big reasons that home birth is demonized and not seen as super safe is because a lot of people um, hear about the stories where things went wrong and the what if and what will you do in case this happens. Um, but they're not taking a ton of time to look at all of the home births that do go really, really well and right. what undisturbed birth does and how many benefits are associated with that. And mm-hmm. I think, unpopular opinion, but I don't think birth is a medical event at all. I don't think right. it requires a hospital until something actually does go wrong and birth right. is facilitated when it's undisturbed, when mom feels safe, when she's in her comfort zone and when she's feeling loved and protected. And odds are the chances of that being the case most likely are going to happen at home, not for everybody. But right. um, to have that understanding of birth will also prevent typically people from looking at all the things that can go wrong because then it really flips the switch to say, but if we provide this mother with all of these things to help her feel a way that will facilitate an easier labor, then we're looking at everything that can go right and everything mm-hmm. that you need in order to set her up for success. And right. I think if mothers had more support in that way, as opposed to we're just going to make sure that nothing goes wrong, like we've created a system that looks at um, – that wants to ensure that we see a lack of disease or a lack of complications when I think it would be better if we looked more for the presence of wellness. Like mm-hmm. let's, let's look at all of the good things and make sure that she's flourishing and thriving and is safe and et cetera, because I think that's really going to not only aid physically a smoother birth, but also, emotionally and mentally making sure that she feels good about her experience regardless of what the circumstances look like right 
Right. It's leading with that confidence instead of fear and kind of making decisions based on the best case scenarios instead of worst. And it's definitely like flipped on its head because in America, we're taught to fear birth and that it is a medical emergency and that you do need to be in a hospital setting and that, um, you know, all these things. So it's kind of like, you know, birthing at home looks crazy when it in reality, seeing that like, okay, so if the United States has the highest maternal mortality rate right now, why is that? Right. Well, we Mm -hmm. also have the highest C-section rate. So why is that? And just start totally. asking those questions and then looking around at other countries. Okay, so in other countries, 80% of births are attended by a midwife. In, in the United States, it's less than 7%. So does that have something to do with it? America yeah. consumes most of the pharmaceuticals in the entire world. Is that part? Just kind of start, like, asking those questions. And it's not in a way that's intended to be offensive to anybody who chooses to do something differently. But I think getting back to our root, okay, what is birth? What's my role in this? You know, for someone like me that had a traumatic birth my first time with my daughter, it's like, okay, so now I have the opportunity to either pass my trauma down generationally to her regarding birth, or I can make a different decision next time, you know, break off that fear cycle surrounding birth so that she can witness something that her body was intended to do and that it can be normalized. And kind of like what you said, what I love about your story, you said your mom had natural birth and she was at a birthing center. And I think, you know, something that is really cool is I think a lot of these people that I know that have the confidence in their bodies surrounding birth, they were taught that at some point, whether they taught it to Mm -hmm. themselves or it was generationally passed down to them. And I just think we've gotten so far away from that as a society. Anyways, I... (laughs) I'm just learning so much, so I could talk all day about this, but let's let's chat quick about Callum's birth. Totally. Okay, so basically everything that we just talked about for like the last 10 minutes is what yeah. continued me down this road of like asking the real questions and saying what feels safe to me. And it just, all of those questions, I went to find answers. My I worked with a different midwife for my third kiddo and she lived four hours away. And so I was kind of at the point where I knew that I had dug so deeply and was so confident in how my prior two births had went and in just my intuition that if she didn't make it to the birth in time, I was going to be okay with that. And I was, um, you know, I had asked everything I needed to ask and I continued to do that through my pregnancy, got a lot of insight and wisdom from her and really started surrounding myself in communities that were really good at digging and researching and looking at studies and asking the questions. And so, you know, I've gone through, I don't know how many podcasts, books, articles, (laughs) studies, um, and it's just become a total fascination to me. So even if I whether I was worried about it happening to me personally or not, I was just curious to learn about what would we do in this case scenario or what would happen if we had to do X, Y, and Z. And so um, after I kind of, you know, exhausted pretty much all of the things that I could come up with, um, I, I should also mention like this pregnancy, I was in a place where I was willing to give up uh, lab testing, uh, blood work. I didn't do any ultrasounds. I didn't have any cervical checks. Um, It was a very uh, abnormal pregnancy to that extent. Um, Yeah. The extent that we went for routine, like clinical care, looked like taking my blood pressure regularly. We had urine sticks that I peed on just to check different levels. Um, We checked my pulse and 
we palpated my belly just to see how baby was growing. We measured my, um, my uterus as I got further into pregnancy. And truthfully, that was like the extent of it. But I felt like it was really all that we needed. <laughs> and yeah. it was great to keep a tab on my health. But at the end of the day, I was more leaning into the intuition of my body, how I was feeling, what signs were being communicated to me, and, you know, asking the right questions when or if those things came up. So if I had a headache, I would ask myself, why is this happening? And let's do some digging to see if I can come up with a reason for this. Um, yeah. Whether it was a nutritional deficiency or a um, – <laughs> not sleeping super great the night before or a sickness that I had or, you know, and I learned how my body would communicate to me in events of like preeclampsia if that were to show up or any other yeah. complications. And so I really educated myself on what to look for and how I would feel. Um, and it was awesome. Truthfully, this last pregnancy was probably my favorite of the three. And I thought that as I continued to have back-to-back -back pregnancies, I thought it would get harder and it would feel yeah. way more depleting for my body. Um, but this is the one that I felt so great in because I had such a great um, focus on nutrition and just continued to read books on how to do that well and um, didn't have anything to worry about. Like I didn't have ultrasounds that potentially could have shown X, Y, and Z. I didn't have appointments to worry about. Like it just felt free and like I could just be pregnant and enjoy being pregnant and, um, and really rest in the confidence that I had because of the work that I had done to know as much as I do about it. Mm, so that gave yeah. me a ton of peace. And um, yeah. And I mean, there are definitely moments where people will question why I made that decision and if I'm worried about X, Y, and Z. So there's still some intentional work that I had to do on my part to, you know, answer the questions and to say, I'm honestly just leaning into my own intuition. And it sounds kind of, I don't know, out there for some people, but it's enough yeah. of an answer for me <laughs> to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so I had to wrestle with some of those things, but ultimately the birth came around. Um, I got to experience like all the ways I was awake for the whole thing, which was so fun because I had woken up in active labor with my other two pregnancies. And so this time around, I was um, taking a shower, getting ready for bed. And in the shower, I felt a couple of like, I had been feeling, I don't know if I call it prodromal labor, but enough like intensive racks and hicks where I was like, okay, child, you are you are there, you're practicing. Um, I was 42 weeks and two days when labor started. So it was another very long wait. <laughs> um, and so I was just trying to mentally keep myself in the go zone of like labor can happen at any time and I want to be prepared for it. And mm -hmm. when it finally came, um, I was able to feel just like the slow increase of intensity with my contractions, which was, it, it was fun to me to be able to experience all of that. Again, contractions felt like a familiar friend. Like I knew how to do this. It's not comfortable necessarily, but like I, I know how to do it. And it just means that my baby is almost here. And that was just so thrilling to me. And so I laid in bed for a couple hours as the contractions were like 
going from 20 minutes apart to 10 minutes apart. We called my midwife who started her four hour drive all the way to um, our home. And then my water broke for the first time outside of the pool. It had broken like right as I was about to push with the other two kids. So it was kind of fun to actually feel that and experience it this time. Um, and it was so fun. Like I was even having words of like, I just felt like I had a river rush out of me. And like, I never would have thought that way before, but I'm just so enthralled with like how birth feels and how like good it can feel to some extent. Um, and mm. so that was a, a fun thing to experience. I apologize to my husband that I wet the bed and he thought that was really funny. So that was a funny moment that we shared. And then <laughs> um, Jared, my husband went to, uh, put the living room together and set up the pool. My sister was in town, which was really special to have her with us. And after, it, I mean, it was only two hours after my water broke that he was born. And I told my husband I had um, laid on the couch in our living room while he was filling up the pool. And I just felt um, Callum's head drop. I felt it in the back of my, like towards my tailbone. And I was like, is that what I think it is? Like this is so fast. And I got into the pool and I told him, I was like, man, I think I have the urge to push already. And he was like, this is going so quickly. I think he was a little bit nervous that we weren't going to have a midwife in the house, but I was like, here for it. And um, within the next 20 to 30 minutes, um, Callum was born. It was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And I think the, the inspiration towards Callum's name, uh, his name means dove, which is associated with um, purity and peace and Holy Spirit. Like he just mm. captured peace. And I loved that moment because there was very little light. It was in the middle of the night. Um, we had worship music playing softly in the background and there just was no commotion present mm. because there was only just like the three of us in the room. And when Callum came out, he was like totally awake. His eyes were already open underwater, looking around. And as soon as I brought him up and put him on my chest, like it's so normal to hear a baby just like crying, which I think everyone sees as a very reassuring sound to know that breathing is fine and nothing's stuck in, you know, his airways or anything. Right. Um, but he was so calm and peaceful. And I had to like lean down to make sure that I could hear like, his color looked good. Everything looked fine. I leaned down, could hear him breathing. And I was just like, you're just happy to be here. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> um, right. And there was like barely a peep that came from him. And so it was just, for me anyways, such a cool moment to be like, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so glad that like, you seem thrilled to be here. And like, you're just content to be on the other side of things. And so that's, that was kind of the inspiration behind his name. And our midwife came, she arrived at our house about an hour after he was born. And, you know, she came, uh, she slept at our house for a few hours to, che to check on me in the morning when I woke up. Um, but I mean, really the most that she did was like held him for me while I took a shower for a few minutes and did some measurements, got his weight and um, <laughs> pretty much it. And so it was, it was so special to have her friendship throughout the pregnancy and someone that I could walk through it with. Um, mm. But at the end of the day, it was also really special to know that there was not 
a, there wasn't necessarily a need for her care in as much as I just felt her support through a friendship. And I right. could learn from her wisdom. And I wasn't looking to her as someone who, like, knew tons more than me and could save me if I needed it. She wasn't my savior. She wasn't someone I was, like, depending on for the birth of my dreams. But she was providing support um, and encouragement that was probably, like, the greatest mm. part of her care for me. Yeah. Um, and just the fact that she had confidence that I could do it on my own was also super empowering. Like, she wasn't worried about me either. Um, so, yeah, that was birth number three. And I'm strongly considering what future births are going to look like just because I love giving birth and I have confidence in birth. And um, I see so much value in having that friendship support, the affirmations, all of that. Um but at the end of the day, like, I just need someone to hand me a towel <laughs> and fill up right. my pool with water, and the baby will be born. And um, it's just such a beautiful, sacred experience. And um, so it's been really neat to see kind of the progression and the growth um, from one pregnancy to the next. And, uh, yeah, just how much everything mm. has changed in a short yes. three years with how passionate I've become about all of it and Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are those are my three yes. my three birth stories. Yes, thank you for sharing. I love hearing from you, and obviously, I've known you for much much longer than anybody listening has, <laughs> likely. So I know a lot more of the ins and outs of the processes behind each of your births, and I just really respect and value your knowledge surrounding birth and your passion for it, and I think it's so needed. So there were some questions. The first one someone asked is, how do you cope with fear or unwanted advice? So you kind of touched on that, but, you know, maybe just giving somebody a a snippet of what they could share if they're being faced with a lot of fear, which I know that you actually faced a bit from some outside sources we talked about kind of the week leading up to your birth. Yeah, definitely. And I think, gosh, even from the first pregnancy, because home births are still, I, I assumed there was an increase in home births after COVID, but we don't have numbers for that yet. So if home births are still at the 1% in America, um, you still get lots of questions regardless of whether you're getting ultrasounds or not or any of that. Like home births is still just so unknown. And so it comes with a lot of what if questions and have you thought about X, Y, and Z. And um, it's, it's very easy. It was very easy for me even to have moments of like, man, am I like, is this just me being ignorant <laughs> or mm-hmm. um, am I actually onto something that a lot of people like don't know, don't truly know the benefits of. And so I think truthfully learning as much as I possibly could about it was one of the greatest things that helped to um, eliminate fear for me because I was looking at data. I was looking at stats. I was hearing from other experts who like, excuse me, who didn't necessarily fit into like the Western medicine <laughs> expert realm, but they were critically thinking for themselves. And I will, I will say that that doesn't mean that no one in Western medicine is not critically thinking for themselves, but these are people who were willing to question some of the things that weren't really benefiting people and mm-hmm. following that. And so gleaning from their wisdom, um, Learning about it as much as I could was a huge thing. I also think that a lot of the training that I did gave me confidence in myself. 
because I knew that I was doing the work to prepare for what was coming. Um, so that was also helpful. And then at the end of the day, like those questions still come up regardless of the things you're learning, regardless of the training that you have, uh, people will still ask into it. And um, to that, I would say at one point, you just need to rely on the work that you're doing and the support system that you're setting yourself up with. So making yeah. sure that you're in touch with other people who have done it successfully and who are confident in home birthing. Um, mm -hmm. And if whoever's asked, asking this question needs a person like come DM me on Instagram so that we can talk about it. And I can be that person for you because um, that has been so helpful for me. Like my midwife, she was easily that person for me in this pregnancy because she had given birth to 14 kids. And from number five to 14, all of those were free births. So I knew that I was talking to someone and engaging with someone who had incredible confidence in birth and right. she wasn't afraid of it. And so I could, in my moments of doubt, I could lean on her and ask her questions. And um, that was so helpful for me when I was experiencing moments of doubt um, because I could then kind of lean on her confidence and her faith for everything to go well in moments where I was struggling. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. And I think protecting your space of, mm -hmm. you know, your birth experience and really like setting boundaries with people and asking yourself when you're getting this stuff told to you, is this fear or is this wisdom? I think that makes a huge difference. And although everybody intends for their words to be wisdom, they're not always wisdom. Like some yes. of it is just fear. <laughs> and so, you know, taking into account other people's traumas, taking into account like where they might be speaking from, Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, moving forward with confidence with what you know is best for yourself and your family. Yeah. Um, and then someone had asked, how can I find a good midwife? How do I know that they're experienced enough? Any tips on how to find that? Oh, that's a great question. And truthfully, I think the answer is going to be different for everybody. And I mm -hmm. only say that because not everyone is going to be in a position that I'm in. And I don't say this is a means of me. Like I'm not trying to set on my high horse. I'm just saying that free birth isn't for everybody, you know? And right. the kind of support that I have was a lot more hands off because that's what I wanted, but that's not necessarily going to be the case for everybody. Um, some right. people want to do the, the lab results. They want to have the ultrasounds. They want to um, have more of a clinical experience to some degree. Um, I will say the experience, or I'm sorry, the community that I tapped into that helped me meet the midwife that I worked with this time around is called Indie Birth. Um, I don't agree with everything that they preach, but I have learned so much from them and really feel aligned with the way that they view and see and talk about birth. And um, so that's a great community to look into if you're looking to do something kind of along the same lines as what I have done with this third pregnancy. Um, otherwise, I think it's important to look at um, certifications that your midwife has. Odds are your midwife is going to be licensed. Mine was not. So she wasn't held to the, um, the state's legislation of birth, which that's birth politics are a whole other conversation. Um, and I just didn't want to deal with them with this pregnancy which I'm grateful for because I ended up going past 42 weeks and probably would have been transferred to a hospital for an induction. 
Um, right. So that's another thing to consider. There's risk, again, with anyone that you choose for a birth. Um, but I would say come up with questions that um, that really reflect what you want in a birth. So if that is, hey, if I go beyond 42 weeks, like I don't want to be taken out of your care. Is that is that a requirement that you have? Um, so, yeah, I would say ultimately figure out what your priorities are. And in the scenarios where you may be met with state expectations that you don't want to have to deal with, I think those are good questions to ask. Um, yeah. But then also I asked my midwife, like, how would you handle stuff if things went sour at home? So, like, what if I started bleeding? What's your protocol if you don't have Pitocin on hand or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm sorry that that's not a super clear and cut answer, but I do feel like it really depends on the individual and what they want. Yeah, right, absolutely. And just, yeah, not being afraid to, like, um, switch providers you know, throughout your pregnancy, yes. if something is starting to feel a little bit weird, there's 100%. always somebody who will take you no matter how far along you are. So, yes. um, okay, two more questions. Are there people that you believe should never have a home birth? So I actually had a friend that, um, I laugh because at the very beginning of the podcast, you say that I tend to give people a little bit of baby fever. And this, I'm pretty sure that was the case with what happened here in this friendship. Yeah. <laughs> um, she she worked for me for a season. So she literally heard me talking about birth and postpartum like every day. And she was mm-hmm. getting so excited about starting a family with her husband. They got pregnant. She was considering a home birth because she was actually there for my second home birth. And mm-hmm. um, I just, talked it up like I made her excited about it and she really wanted to um, consider it strongly but um, her personality she was naturally very anxious and Mm -hmm. um, whether that had to do with like her growing up or maybe trauma that she hadn't processed yet um, not saying that there wasn't work that she could have done to overcome it but I do Mm -hmm. think that her anxiety um, in a home setting probably would have been greater because she was more right. prone to worry about everything that would have gone wrong. Um, right. And she probably would have felt safer in a hospital, which is where she ended up giving birth. And yeah. so I think for the sake of having mom feel safe, um, home may not be that place for her. Well, it, I think it, it kind of comes back to what Amanda and I really tried to drill through every single episode with people is when it comes to being a mom, there's just no one size fits all. So it, that obviously includes birth. And so I think there just needs to be this mutual respect and understanding of animosity in the birthing world of people feel the need to defend their choices all the time, whether that be, you know, you know, people who love giving birth in the hospital, you know, shaming home birthers or, or vice versa. I think just getting to a point where you're like exactly what you said, where are you going to feel the most safe? And that's mm-hmm. not the same for everybody. And then just kind of carrying that in a way that is respectful of everybody else's stories, that is what is most important is where do you feel safe. And I think and in the hospital setting, you're also going to have to consider what might, you know, what might happen at a hospital if you really are looking to do an undisturbed birth. Um, right. There's going to be a different element of your care at a hospital 
And so that's really going to have to be taken into consideration. But if you still feel safest there because you feel like you have a blanket of security for any of the what-if scenarios, then go birth in a hospital. (laughs) Yeah, totally. You just might have to, like, defend your choices a little bit harder than you would have had to if you were at home. Yes. And that's another thing Amanda and I always say. It's like, you know, we say, like, if you're going to the hospital planning for an unmedicated birth, you're kind of, like, gearing up for a battle. And we want to equip you as best as we can. And we have our birthing plan free download for you guys. Link in our bio. We want to make sure that you have a doula. You know, all the things that we've talked about in all of our previous episodes. Um, But it definitely is more of a battle, for sure. Um, Okay, last question was, are there resources that you would recommend if I'm just now considering home birth? I'm pregnant with my third. Ooh, so exciting. Um, so I would look, depending on how hippie you want to be about it, the indie birth community <laughs> I would look into, um, just because it really challenges you to consider what you think about birth and how you see it. Whether you want mm-hmm. to go as far as they do or not, um, I still think it helps you ask a lot of really good questions. Um, I think on your podcast, you guys have also talked about Ina Mae Gaskin's book, God, it's Childbirth. And I think that's a great place to start because, again, and I I think it's great what you guys are doing in this series. It's going to fill you with positive birth stories that really help to to show you because I don't think we have a lot of positive birth stories available in today's day and age. I think there's a movement that is coming out – lately that is championing natural childbirth and like wanting to talk about how great it could be. But typically horror stories are the first things you're going to hear when it comes to attempting childbirth at all. And I think reading like pages on pages on pages of stories where things have gone well, um, or even when things haven't looked perfect on paper, but the child is still born and the mom still feels good about her experience. There's so much value to that. Yeah, And then she just goes to, like, explain the basics of childbirth and how your body works, what hormones are integrated into that. Um, There's also a book, uh, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering, I think is what it's called. And that's another really good, like, basic book that I think also taps into the mothering element and just continuing your intuition into the postpartum and – different things you'll consider. And again, I don't like necessarily agree with everything, but I do think that it helps. I think those are the best resources. Like you, you learn to take the gold nuggets from tons of different places. And so, yeah, I wouldn't say everything in all of these books is exactly what you need to know, but they will help you to reframe your understanding from our cultural understanding of what birth looks like and that in and of itself gave me the confidence to move forward with the decisions mm-hmm. I made on birth. Yeah. And you actually said that the documentary, the business of being born was kind of a big deal for you when you were first processing your home yes. birth at JLab. Yep. Mm-hmm. That, that was still, one of, that the is first ones that I watched. Yes. That is still available on, I believe it's Amazon but they have a whole series now. They have a bunch of follow-up movies that you can go and watch if that is something mm-hmm. that is interesting to you. Definitely eye-opening on a lot of yeah. levels. <laughs> totally. I know. There were so many nuggets that I took from that 
I'm a huge documentary girl. I love reading books, but I think I gear more towards my own research and documentaries because they're just so informative. And you hear from so many different medical professionals and it's just really interesting. Okay, I'm going to, I will be typing those up in the show notes. And then Daish, if you think of any other resources, just text me those before Monday and I can add them to this list. Thank you so much for sharing all this. I know that it's such a passion of yours. And if you guys want to go and check out Daisha's Instagram page, she has a lot of useful information. And like she had mentioned, she's a pre and postnatal fitness coach. And that all of that information is linked on your page, right, Daisha? They can find all of that if they yes. look at your bio. Yes, Instagram is probably the best place to find me. And I'm sure you would be like more than happy to talk with anybody who had questions just and your DM. She is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to all this kind of stuff. So thanks for hopping on here. But it's not easy with three kids on a Saturday, but we are so grateful. <laughs> of course, it was great to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you for listening. And remember that you were chosen to be the mother of your children. And you are exactly where you need to be. See, See you, you next week. week.